with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, the Chinese Premier has set a bullish tone on economic growth in a speech at the Summer Davos Forum. And we will also take a look at China's unicorn enterprises. Who are they, and what sectors are they concentrated in? And now let's begin with our top story. Chinese Premier Li Qiang says all countries should cherish openness and cooperation after going through the twists and turns of economic globalization. He spoke at the opening session of the World Economic Forum's annual meeting of the New Champions or Summer Davos in Tianjin. Premier Li also called for better communication and exchanges among the international community. He said China is on track to reach its annual growth target of around five percent this year. He also said economic growth in the second quarter would be higher than the first quarter, and Beijing would roll out more effective policies to expand domestic demand and open markets. So, for more on this, join us on the line now, Yan Liang, professor of economics, Villemat University, and also Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Ina, first, innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship—these are buzzwords. That top the agenda of this year's summer Davos. So, how important are they in driving today's global economy? And how do you define the entrepreneurship? Well, the okay, two questions. So, the first one is, what role are they playing now, and what role will they play in the future? And the answer is very simple.、Uh, the country that is able to uh, adopt uh, these cost-saving measures, because really, when we're talking about technology, it's not technology for technology's sake. It's really the technology that can ha- help you be much more efficient. So,、uh, to the extent that China is、uh, pushing along those lines, it's preparing its economy to be more competitive. In the future, in terms of the、um, the second part, when you start, entrepreneurship is really about seeing the problem and finding the solution. I mean, it's always that you you have to. Uh, have the creativity、uh, to do it. Now, China and the U.S. are a little bit different. From the U.S.,、uh, the creativity comes into the, a lot in terms of the basic sciences.、Uh, they, there's a lot of research, which is just basically looking at what the possibilities are. But in China, the、uh, entrepreneurship is really about applying、uh, ideas,、uh, and you've seen that in so many sectors,、uh, from cell phones to electronics, anything out there that can be、uh, mass produced. Especially for consumers, China has been very adept as with the、um, EV electric vehicle market in putting, giving customers what they want,、uh, reacting very, very quickly,、uh, shortening the amount of time that it takes to create a product and deliver it、uh, to the customer. So that that's the kind of innovation which is going to make you more money than basic science because basic science is is great. It can pave the way for future, but until it's applied, it's not going to be a moneymaker. 
Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we do see the technology increasing its weight in the annual meeting of the new champions. And uh, at this year's Summer Davos, many discussions have been uh, centered around technology, innovation, etc., etc. And the forum actually publishes top 10 emerging technologies report of uh, 2023. So what are they and how do you look at the new technologies role in today's world? Right, so there's the emphasis on technology because technology and innovations are really what would drive productivity growth. And so as we talked about, the global economy is you know, uh, very challenging right now. Uh, when we look at advanced economies and we look at developing countries, um, all of them have different kind of struggles. So I think that makes you know the, the technology um, very important, um, not to mention that you know, the United States is waging on sort of this tech decoupling um, campaign. So, um, but I think what Premier Li Chang emphasizing is that um, we need to cooperate and we need to develop technologies that will help to drive economic growth um, based on productivity growth. So you mentioned the, te the top 10 emerging technologies report um, that would really focus on the so-called transformative technologies such as AI, quantum computing, um, and all this will you know, be very important in re reshaping the industrial landscape. And so um, I think for some of Davos and this report, um, they basically is trying to provide the expert um, you know, guidance to help decision makers and also trying to um, you know, facilitate the kinds of technological cooperations um, and try to mitigate you know, risks because um, developing technology um, is a risky undertaking. So that takes um, the public back backing, it takes entrepreneurship, but it also takes you know, stable and um, you know, conducive international environment. Um, for technology to um, flourish. Mm. And yeah, actually talking about Chinese economy, what's your assessment? Of course, a lot of challenges, but still people are working very hard for an update. So what do you think is the latest situation? There are some pressure on the Chinese economy, but what's the bright spots of it? Right. So um, I think the recovery is is on the way. It is going um, forward. Um, when you look at the first quarter growth rate is 4.5 percent, and that is um, from the relatively higher base um, of you know 4.8 percent in the Q1 last year. So what that means is that you know for Q2 we'll definitely see a acceleration of recovery because that comes from you know a very low base um, from from last year. Um, so the World Bank and IMF have just upgraded, you know, China's growth forecast, respectively. I think um, it's a mixed picture, right? When we look at consumer demand, it continues to rebound. Um, when we look at service sector, it is expanding um, in a very robust way. Uh, but then people are worried about, you know, export uh, demand has been declining. Um, people are also worried about the still relatively weak um, real estate sector. But I think overall, the picture is that, you know, China is going to be able to hit the target of 5% of, of GDP growth rate and mm. possibly higher. Um, but we do need more policy, uh, especially, in my opinion, uh, on the fiscal side, because a lot of local governments are in charge of, 
you know, social spending and also supporting their local businesses, which are very important for, you know, job growth, for investment, for income growth. So I think it's very helpful for the central government to increase the fiscal, um, you know, support. Um, in order to push the economy forward. Mm. And so, Aina, so new technology is also bringing us a lot of new momentum in China. China is in the transition period, and its infrastructure for digitalization is one of the best in the developing world. So how much is the overall structure changes happening as a result of the new technologies, do you think? Well, obviously, you, you're not going to have advancement without uh, technology. Um, uh, they're pushing ahead on 6G, even as uh, 5G is, is continues to roll out. Um, you, you see what's happening with batteries, uh, EVs, um, but it's not just those areas. I mean, um, China has really kind of forged ahead, and uh, especially green areas like uh, um, the uh, photovoltaic uh, and also uh, wind um, power production. And, and and also putting them in place. I mean, right now, I believe that uh, China um, just recently garnered more power from uh, renewables than it did from coal. Uh, this um, That was on a temporary basis, but it was something uh, to be marked. It shows that China is making progress. So technology is not just there in terms of, you know, economic um, stirring up the dust. It's really about making a better life for everybody. And mm. a lot of that is about sustainability, not necessarily, you know, this headlong rush into consumerism. So at, at this point, yes, China, I think, is under a lot of pressure, but it has the toolbox, as uh, Yan was saying, to, you know, make changes to that. And I do agree. Uh, local government spending has to uh, be increased. There's got to be a way in which their finances can be stabilized at some point that probably will be a real estate tax, um, but probably not not re, uh, not in the near future. But yeah, it's China has the means. Uh, the question is where it's going to go. I'm very actually heartened by the idea that you're starting to see the banks, IMF and World Bank, get much closer uh, to the ranges that the, um, the S&P and all of these groups are putting out there on the private side because uh, it shows that a consensus is emerging. Mm-hmm. And what it shows is that the U.S. is going to grow at 1% and China is going to grow at 5 And that comparative advantage is going to work to uh, China's uh, in China's favor. So on the digital end, as China becomes more efficient, it increases its capacity to grow and uh, puts it ahead of um, its competitors in this market, although the U.S. is not a manufacturing competitor anymore. Mm-hmm. And Yen, how do you see the new technologies will improve China's productivity? Right. So I think you mentioned, um, you know, these high tech like AI, 5G or 6G, uh, quantum computing and new energy vehicles. All these are really bright spots. Um, And so on the one hand, there is the investment that are going into these sectors, um, way more than investment in some of the traditional sectors. So immediately, you know, in the short term, this will help to boost, you know, demand and job creation and income. But going forward, it really matters is the structural change. And that structural change comes from mostly one is the productivity growth, um, especially, for example, labor efficiency, because, um, you know, with all these new technologies, um, for example, digitization, 
of knowledge <clears throat> that would really help to you know um, improve labor productivity. The second one has to do with how these technologies could upgrade industrial production and also put China's industrial production to a more sustainable path. Um, just take the digital economy as a, as an example. Mm. Um, you know, from 2005 and 2019, the digital economy has grown from about two trillion yuan to now close to 36 trillion yuan in 2019, and the share of GDP has gone up from 14 percent to 36 percent. And so, a lot of research has shown that the digital economy really helped to promote labor efficiency, both in terms of you know allocating labor from you know high uh, from the low tech to the, sorry from the low productivity to high productivity sector but also enhance labor productivity through digital tools um, and the second very important channel is you know this digital economy and this new technology sectors development are not going to be just confined within their respective sectors um, they create a lot of technological spillovers um, to the traditional sectors and upgrade to those sectors. So that's that's very important. And you know, China has really forged ahead in many of these um, high tech and new tech uh, industries, right? So, for example, for the e um, the new energy vehicles, you know, China now account for sixty percent of the global electric car sales um, and eighty percent of the global production of solar cells. So you can clearly see how you know China's contribution, right, in both promoting technological innovations, but in also trying to um, put the global economy into a more sustainable and resilient uh, when, when it comes to climate change, um, that path. Mm. And I know so we have seen, you know, Chinese Premier Li Qiang recently visited Europe and looking at the prospects of European business, how do you look at the reality and what is the momentum over there? Well, the momentum in, in Europe is not good. I mean, quite frankly, they've been looking at uh, a recession uh, all this time, uh, despite the fact that today the you know the euro is doing pretty well, uh, it's it's weakness in the dollar that's uh, driving it. But you know at this juncture, um, it, Europe has to have a steady trade partner. I mean, you have powerhouses like Germany; they have to have some place to export. And you know, just because India has a lot of people doesn't mean that there's going to be a lot of exports uh, to it. Uh, China is very good about sticking to their uh, strategies, and the strategy now is this dual circulation, which is to try to get domestic. Um, consumption up and use that as a basis for attracting uh, investment. Also, um, you know, on the other side of that is this uh, BRI project, uh, which is really about trying to create connectivity between all these countries so that it is much more efficient uh, and easy to do um, bilateral trade between them. China's not looking for a situation where it's um, uh, you know, saying, oh, we, we have to come out on top. It has to be our, 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 you know, trade balance in our favor. So this is very, very different from uh, the U.S. model, which is always about, you know, you, you, you're, it's your fault that we, we spend too much. Mm -hmm. China's just saying, look, we just have to have a global trade uh, system. And what's at stake here is globalization. He mentioned that uh, in his speech, that China is coming squarely on this idea that their globalization is more efficient. It is in, uh, absolutely essential in boosting especially the global south uh, economies and putting them in a better position and given you know the 
current situation in terms of the economics post-pandemic uh, recovery, it's even more important. And yeah, so global economy is now in a low growth environment, and we've seen the numbers from the IMF forecast is about 2.8% uh, growth this year. So how do you look at the global economic situation, the high inflation, the national debt issues, and also the Fed and ECB interest rate hikes? So the potential risk of a recession, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you really, you know, hit that nail on the head. Um, you mentioned some of the biggest, uh, you know, risk factors where, you know, developed countries, they are still facing, you know, some levels of inflation, um, more so in Europe than in the United States. Um, and their central banks are still eyeing on rate hikes um, in order to, you know, fight inflation in their views. But again, I think this is totally uh, wrongheaded efforts. Um, but, you know, the rate hikes does produce a lot of, you know, um, negative consequences, not only for their own, you know, economies in advanced countries, but also for developing countries, which are really struggled um, to pay back their loans. Um, because, you know, with inflation, sorry, with higher interest rates in the United States or in Europe, the developing countries, um, their currency depreciates against, you know, the dollar. Um, and they have to pay higher interest payments on their loans, on their debt. So this really puts a lot of developing countries, um, uh, you know, almost one half of the low income countries are either at debt uh, stress or at the risk of getting, you know, um, sort of a debt uh, distress. So that is definitely not a, uh, a, a rosy picture. Um, and on top of that, I think there's a lot of geopolitical tensions, um, for example, um, the IMF has talked about, right, if countries continue with this whole idea of decoupling or the new version of it, the so-called de-risking, um, this is going to cause, you know, trade fragmentation and also tech um, sort of fragmentation. And that's going to, you know, reduce global GDP by 7% or even up to 12%. So I think, you know, this just shows that with all these technologies, with all these economic challenges, countries need to work together. And the real de-risking is to promote cooperation instead of, you know, decoupling and confrontation. And I think that is really what Pre Premier Lee um, tries to emphasize, mm. um, that, you know, the so-called de-risking is really uns uh, uh, nonsensical. And the whole idea of de-risking simply heightened risks. Um, mm. for the private businesses, because, you know, with all these geopolitical uncertainties, it's very difficult for them to foresee the future and conduct their businesses. Mm. We're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll look at China's unicorn companies. Who are they and what sectors are they concentrated in? Stay with us. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Ellard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. Deep Dive, a podcast of CGTN Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. China had nearly 360 unicorn companies at the end of last year, the highest number in the country's history. The number is from a report highlighting the growing trends in the country's startup sector. The definition of a unicorn enterprise is a company set up for less than a decade and now valued at more than one billion U.S. dollars. So, Ina, actually, unicorns are dramatically changing our life today. For example, the ChatGPT has perhaps the largest impact across the world of any unicorn. So, how do you describe this unicorns changing not just the economic activities but also the whole society? Well, I mean. Unicorns are literally mythical animals that suddenly have come to life in、uh, modern society、uh, with these, you know, these incredible valuations that come along. I mean, to have a, a billion-dollar valuation for a, a small company is, is quite something. I and mean, last year, I mean, what, seventy percent of、um, these new companies have come from four fields: clean technology, renewable energy, healthcare, smart logistics. There's, of course, you know, ten in the semiconductor field, but. What that tells you is, that if you start looking at the first four there in particular,、uh, they're talking about、uh, better lives. These are、uh, creating sustainable, better existence,、uh, very much middle class、uh, issues, values, and services. So yeah, actually, China saw the establishment of 98 new unicorn companies last year. So who are those unicorns, and what sectors are they concentrated in? Right. So over half of the the new、uh, unicorns they're in the clean energy and new materials. You know these unicorns, a lot of them are concentrated in tech sectors and now in you know new taking up new、uh, energy, new materials because you know these companies are very forward looking. They're very dynamic.、Um, they see the future and they know you know which are the industries that are the sunrise industries. They're the ones that have. A lot of you know, sort of government support,、um, and those are the ones that have you know the、um, investment potentials and you know human capital to support. So those are the areas these unicorns are going into.、Um, and on top of that, I think there's also a lot of you know these、um, tech companies.、Um, they are hold, holding you know over twelve thousand patents in robotics, in integrated circuits, power batteries, you know autonomous driving. And so these are really changing not only the way you know、uh, people um, you know、uh, purchase things, right? There a lot of them are in the e-commerce,、um, but they're also really in a way improve people's lives. For example, the digital entertainment, right? ByteDance, it's not only big in China, but also um, really um, made a lot of stirs、um, in the United States or elsewhere. Um, and a lot of them are also in, you know,、uh, fintech. And also,、um, you know, these unicorns are playing a very instrumental role in upgrading, you know, industries when it comes to、um, semiconductor chips production、um, and also smart、uh, logistics.、Um, so I think, you know, these are really changing the way people live and also,、um, you know, provide a really good future for, you know, China's. Uh, technological innovation and industrial production landscape.、Mm. So, Anna, the chip industry has the highest number of unicorns here in China. How do you explain that? 
Well, that's simply this kind of tech war, uh, which the U.S. is, is imposing uh, by cutting off uh, China's access to uh, you know, needed chips and chip-making facilities. China is coming up with its own indigenous uh, approaches to this. Mm. So, Yan, as you mentioned, the number of the new unicorn companies in clean energy, new material, new energy vehicles exceeding 50% of the total. Why are those opportunities in these areas? Right. So as I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, because of unicorn investors and uh, entrepreneurs, they're forward looking. So they're looking at what is needed um, in tomorrow's economy. So it's definitely, you know, China's national goal um, to trying to, you know, peak carbon emission in 2030 and then achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. What that means, there's a lot of room um, to develop new and clean energy and also new materials. Um, what that means is, for example, when we produce um, new EVs, um, right now we're using a lot of lithium, and these new materials is really trying to, you know, improve the kinds of materials to go into the production of, you know, batteries or um, new energy vehicles. So that would make, you know, these productions even more sustainable and clean and climate resilient. So I think, in general, um, I can see there are different factors that are really pushing the investments and entrepreneurs and the labor into these sectors. One is, again, just the needs of the future. And then second has to do with, again, government support um, in providing you know, tax incentives and providing you know, some of the sort of seed money in terms of government-guided funds. Um, and all of this help to support um, these sectors. And then finally, I think I agree with Aina that there is this international pressure that, you know, self reliance or self-sufficiency in some of the key tech um, is essential. And so I think all these reasons push, um, you know, uh, entrepreneurs to invest in those fields. And again, I think that is also supplemented by, you know, the, the labor force, right, that we have an increasing, very skilled college graduates that are mm -hmm. worked in the STEM field that are able to, you know, contribute their, their talent. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's a very powerful combination of, of all these positive forces. Mm, so, yeah. so how do you see the potential of 5G and AI in the Chinese market? I think the potential is huge, um, you know, with all these factors, right, the government support with entrepreneurs with, you know, uh, skilled workers, I think these, these markets are very big um, for China. And I think, you know, we also can see the positive lessons um, from, you know, the development of new vehicle, uh, new energy vehicles, um, or, you know, 5G for that matter, right now, China has a lot more 5G stations than any other countries in the world. So I think definitely, um, you know, these sectors are promising. Um, and definitely there, there need to be consistent and continued uh, policy support um, mm. to guide investments and to guide talent to flow into you know, 5G and AI sectors. Mm. Um, at the same time, um, there's a need for, of course, continued upgrade of regulations and guidelines. So then you know, businesses would understand what are the boundaries and what are the supporting um, sort of um, environment um, for them to continue to develop. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.